You're listening to the Public Safety Drone Flight Podcast, your source of real-world, actionable aviation information for fire departments, police departments, and law enforcement agencies. This is the critical information you need to be an exceptional pilot and help save lives with flight. And now, your host, Public Safety Flight Chief Pilot, Steve Rode. Hi, this is Steve Rode, your friendly chief pilot here at the Public Safety Flight website. Be sure to visit psflight.org to get in on my private email list, read all the latest posts, or ask me all of your public safety drone questions. That's psflight.org, or if that trips you up, you can land in the right place by using publicsafetyflight.org. Today we're joined by Doug Bainton. He's a public safety drone pilot with a unique background and skill set. You see, not only has he been a New York City firefighter for 17 years, but he's also had various important roles with the FDNY Disaster Assistance Response Team, DART. And he's also been deployed all over the place to assist with incidents and emergencies. And Doug is currently assigned as the citywide interagency coordinator and a public safety Part 107 pilot for New York City Emergency Management. Doug, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks so much for having me on. I read something that was fascinating in your background, and I had to push it up to the first question I wanted to ask you. (laughs) All right. Um, In 2015, I believe, you were deployed to Oklahoma for flooding. Is that correct? Yeah, and the tornadoes. Yep. Right. And I, I read or I heard that you said that when you got there, one of the first things that you did was you got in a helicopter and you went out and you surveyed the scene, right? (laughs) That is correct. And what you said about that was that it was a very rapid way to assess the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Because you couldn't have access on the ground. So here's what I, this is actually a project I'm working with, with North Carolina Emergency Management, uh, where we're trying to integrate manned aircraft and drones into the same incident where the manned aircraft would go out and survey the larger scene and then direct the drones to the the things that were higher on the task list. Um, what's your feedback about that, incorporating? That's actually two? something we're discussing doing in uh, New York City, as a matter of fact, with the NYPD Aviation Union. Because uh, the helicopters have the ability to get out and really cover a large, expansive area very quickly and identify, like you just said, those kind of critical areas where we need to get a little more detail. But they can carry on with their mission and build that uh, data for us. And then we can just go out and hit each uh, location individually. So one of the things that we experienced in North Carolina was in a past hurricane season, uh Drones were dispatched all over the state to areas that they knew were going to be hotspots. But the problem was the drones couldn't get to the hotspots. Blocked roads, no access, no fuel, no power, no lodging, no anything. So uh, let's just brainstorm for a minute about how what you think this looks like if you were not in New York City, but you were back in Oklahoma or some other place that's not so urban. Uh, Let's just brainstorm about how we would incorporate that. Would we send the manned aircraft out first to do a survey? Would we pre-stage 
drones. You have the emergency management background. What's in your head? So I think, you know, in my experience, one of the biggest things with those type of situations is understanding the area you're going to to start with. So now one of the first things my team will do is integrate with the local emergency responders, emergency managers, law enforcement, whoever has the knowledge of the area and where they're, you know, where they commonly experience these problems. Because we try to understand before we even get on the ground what we're going to be getting into. And one of the first things we do is ask for maps mm-hmm. because we want to know, okay, hey, officer, this area commonly floods, but do you have any access? And they may say, no, usually it's completely cut off and aerial's the only way. Mm-hmm. Say, we have one road that can go in there. And that's, that's, that's the kind of intel you need as fast as you can get it. Right. So if you have your common spots that are like that, you know, you want to you want to have that. I like pre-staging personally. Uh, my my team has definitely been put on the ground before landfall for a lot of storms. OK. Um, and uh, we find that that makes it a lot easier for us to operate. Now, if you're in a situation where, you know, you're talking about no lodging, that kind of thing, obviously there's a logistics piece that needs to be worked out for where you're going to stay and all of that. But if you have all that worked out uh, and you know you need to do aerial surveys because no one else is going to be able to get in there once you're in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we had a similar situation. We came down to Wilmington uh, after Florence. Yes. And the Cape Fear River was cresting a lot. And, you know, we were now obviously there's a lot of houses in there, but our supply chain was cut off. Tractor trailers, no one could get in there. We were in there. It was essentially an island at that point. The funny thing about that is I was actually flying in relief supplies in the airplane. Oh, and wow. I was one of the first airplanes in there. I mean, the airport had been shut down. The control tower was closed down. They were only using a handheld radio. I mean, it, it was a mess. Yeah, and we were trying to do damage assessments, and we were trying to do supply relief uh, runs, and we couldn't get the supplies, you know? And uh, at that point, one of the members of my team had a drone. He wasn't a 107 pilot. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, he came to me and said, uh, hey, you know, on my day off, I was flying around and I saw an area that was completely flooded out. I said, you get pictures? He said, yeah. I said, can I see them? <laughs> and I took a look and I went, Okay. And we started making phone calls and we identified an area that hadn't been visited yet because of that drone. All right. So let me brainstorm this with you. So you and I are on the same incident in Wilmington. You're there with your drone team. And the difference is that I'm in the airplane talking directly to you and have the ability to guide your team in through an area that they might be able to access the site. Is that a game changer? Uh, I think so, because that's force multiplier as far as I'm concerned. And I'm a big fan of that. You know, any chance you get to bring in other resources to to get the job done more efficiently, quickly, to get help to the people, which is really our primary purpose. Uh, anything we can do to do that, I think, is is critical. And so, yeah, I would love to have a much higher eye in the sky that can you know, give me, you can do a, a bigger pass than I can with a drone. And you can say, hey, give me the coordinates and go, this area needs help first. 
Right. That looks like the worst hit area. And we can kind of prioritize based on the intel you can provide. And then because, um, you know, with the drone team, unless you have multiple drones in multiple areas at one time, there's no way one team is going to accomplish it as fast as you can from that, that literal 30,000 foot view. Well, drones are awesome. Uh, absolutely. I love flying drones. They offer great capabilities. But one of the things that we don't have right now is the ability to see the broader area. What I mean is when I'm flying in the airplane, I see the bigger context. I can't see the small fine detail. But when I'm flying the drone, it's like looking through a straw, right? You can only see directly what's in front of you and you don't get the context. Does uh, FDNY have aviation or is that just New York? Yes, uh, FDNY has a robotics unit and uh, they fly drones at their incidents. Uh, NYPD has an uh, has a drone unit as well. Okay. Uh, so, so, you know, we're, we're constantly doing, um, you know, and they, there's constantly interagency cooperation with that. Well, I look forward to your uh, interagency cooperation with the manned aircraft, the helicopters up there working with your team. I think that's... I'm really excited about that particular thing myself. Well, one of the things, I mean, one of the resources that we're aware of for that particular thing is the Civil Air Patrol. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, know, I, know, I was you know, a Civil Air Patrol pilot. That's become, uh, that's become more forward-facing, you know, for damage assessment or just this kind of intel gathering that we're talking about. You know, that's a resource that I, I don't know how often it's used outside of New York City. But I do know it's a, it's one that we discuss every time we're doing pre-storm planning. Uh, we've we've had discussions with FEMA uh, for data gathering and things like that. So here's here's my take, having been a Civil Air Patrol pilot. Uh, the Civil Air Patrol is a fantastic resource of people who are very dedicated and very motivated uh, and want to help. The downside is that it is a giant bureaucracy. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, and uh, I was flying a, an incident last year and we had the Civil Air Patrol and myself out in the same area. And we, you know, couldn't talk to each other because their process and procedures wouldn't let them get on a particular frequency. I don't know what the deal was. Um, but, yeah, in, sending in the Civil Air Patrol to do damage. They l love to take pictures and we trained. <laughs> forever to take pictures and upload them to whatever. And yeah, it's a great thing. Now, if you had a NYPD helicopter, it sounds like NYPD is the one with the, the manned aviation resources. They have the manned aviation. Okay. So if you uh, had a big incident that was not in the middle of downtown, uh, yeah, if you could, can you talk directly to those pilots? Uh, we can do interagency communication with them. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot of discussion with them for how how we're going to get the info that they have to the agency in general because you know emergency management is is that data collection point and uh, as a as an in, I'm one of you know many interagency coordinators in emergency management in New York City and uh, I'm I'm one of only two of the UAS pilots mm -hmm. but uh, we go out and do these damage surveys in a, in a, you know, multi-borough way, mm -hmm. you know, if we have a tropical storm, we had a tropical storm come in, Isaias was the name last year. And, uh, you know, the borough of Queens and the Bronx got hit uh, fairly hard with that, along with, you know, a bunch of other areas, Staten Island. 
Brooklyn, like all the boroughs had, a, had, a, had been touched by it. But we went out and uh, the idea was that, okay, it, depending on how hard this storm hits, we may make the ask to NYPD Aviation to go do these flights. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to do what they do anyway. And then if we need data from them, we'll request it. And they can do specific flights based on what we're asking. Uh, you know, thankfully that storm wasn't uh, didn't require that. But it's it's good to know, especially as a, a UAS pilot who is also an interagency coordinator who may need to put the drone up. I'd like to get directed to the most hard hit areas to get that impact uh, assessed immediately. You know, and uh, a pri- developing priority for something like that in a city like New York is very difficult. You know, because uh, it's not geographically big, but it's densely populated. Yeah. And, you know, a power outage in an eight million person city, you know, has a different impact in one with, you know, a few hundred. Right. Um, right. Not to say that the one with a few hundred isn't important. It's all important. But, you know, w- when I've got, you know, nursing homes and all the hospitals and all that multi, mul- multi-agency type of situation going uh, the, it's, it's a lot to, to process and you need to put, uh, you need to put the triage together very quickly. All right. So here's a real world situation. Uh, there was a tornado that came through North Carolina and it was a a bunch of departments working on it. Emergency management was involved. It seemed like it was Armageddon on the ground. I mean, there were trees down, power lines down. There was huge interruption, and they asked me if I would fly the drone along the path of the tornado so I could assess the damage. The path was nine miles long. There, there was no way that I could do it. So I went out and got in the airplane. And from the air, the, it didn't appear that there was actually much damage. It was very localized. So the people on the ground had a much different interpretation of the situation than the overall view. How, how do you put those two pieces of information together? I mean, on the ground, you think the world has ended, but from the sky is like, man, it doesn't look that bad. Well, I think it's important to make sure people have perspective of a, that what you see is not necessarily what we have. Like you just said, but B, to understand that we have other resources and let's get all the possible d- data together to get this full picture so that people aren't jumping to immediate conclusions. Because that's what happens. You know, the general public is scared. Uh, it looks crazy. It feels crazy. The media is probably not helping things. And uh, we need to keep the cooler heads, use these tools that we have, and put all this picture together so that we can give, you know, communication is key, right? Yeah. And, and and the less you have of it, the more chaos you have. And this aerial view, whether it's manned or, or unmanned aviation, is a critical piece, especially these days, because we have this ability. You know, it's not the news just focusing on the most damaged piece and not telling everyone that it's not where they think it is. They're not actually reporting where that is. They're just showing epically damaged stuff. And, you know, we in the field know that that's not where people live, right? That's, that's the woods. It's like the storm that, that hit Wilmington, Florence on the, on the national news, there was a picture of like this small home community that had been all turned upside down and it looked like the entire world had ended. But 
if you just pulled out a little bit wider, you would see that there is an RV storage lot next door, not touched at all. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, they may take a picture of an abandoned house, you know, that got destroyed. And it's it's the perspective is key. And, you know, you want the people to understand exactly what the impact is, what you need them to do, how to keep them safe. Like, you know, and then the only way to do that is to give them accurate people. When you tell people the truth, yes. they do a little bit better. Yeah. Right? They don't want this around the bush type of thing. Um, you know, I find in my experience that being I've, I've been to disasters all over the country. And um, when you just kind of tell people how it really is, yeah. Or show them a picture and like, look, this is what's this is what's really happening. Here's what we're doing about it. You know, and obviously there's this kind of external affairs approach you need to take to these things because, you know, you say the wrong thing and you can obviously create panic if you're not careful with what you say. But uh, when you tell people the truth and you show them, here's here's what your neighborhood looks like from the air. You know, uh, I've I've found that people respond well to that. You know, they're like, oh, wow, from here, it looks like 400 houses are down. Right, right, right. You know, from 300 feet in the air, you see it's it's 10. Now, that's still 10 people impacted, but uh, it, it eases their mind a little bit on exactly what the situation is. So I'm about to get off my manned aviation horse here. Uh, but But I have one more question, and that is, it seems to me that it has been difficult this uh, marriage of manned and unmanned pilots out there uh, that the manned pilots that have lots of experience uh, that I know have been very kind of anti-drone. And so there really has not been much coordination between the two. Um, Do you see that there's some public relation team building or whatever that you have to do as well with, uh, like NYPD pilots, do you? Uh, no, we we have a great relationship with uh, you know NYPD aviation. We we make we have a, a bunch of notifications we make before we're up in the air. You know, obviously we have our public agency COA, so we we operate within you know the that those rules. But we also notify NYPD aviation because they're up in the air a lot. We want them to know. Uh, generally they're not coming, you know, down into the areas that we're flying, but they might have to, for whatever reason that we may not know. So it's important to give a heads up to them. You know, obviously we, we notify police operations, you know, because people don't know about drones all the time and you, you know, wherever you're flying around the country, if you're operating in a official capacity, you want people to understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. It's not. There's nothing nefarious going on. We're, we're at an incident, whatever, things like that. But uh, we don't have any problems with uh, the manned aviation realm and us. Uh, and we don't actually, I mean, we don't deal with commercial pilots mm-hmm. or any of that. You know, we're never really in a zero grid. Very rarely are we fl- trying to fly in a zero grid. And we would go through SGI for that anyway. You know, um, we're going to coordinate with the FAA to do that. Um you know, there's a lot of a lot of coordination that has to happen with that. But I think a lot of it, like anything else, you know, this is something new, maybe viewed as a threat to some folks or maybe viewed as just a, a danger. And I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that that happen in life that people are, are licensed to do that other people find scary. So their, right. autom- their automatic reaction is ban it. Right. <laughs> and that's just, you know. 
I, I get it to a point, but, you know, um, I think technology has come to a point where we can use these tools to help people. And I think if we all keep the focus on the idea that it's not about you, we'll do better. Right. Working as a team. We're a team. And our ultimate goal, especially in public service, emergency services, is to help people. If you keep that in mind, uh, I think it's a lot easier to get around these kind of, whether it's ego or lack of knowledge, whatever it is that's causing this drama, I think we can get past it. And some of it just takes time. You're right. I love the word drama. There's there has been some drama. I mean, then it's it's just the truth. That's just what happens sometimes. We're humans. Well, okay. So what a great segue. So <laughs> as someone that's worked as a firefighter and now with emergency management, um, Doug, I have had issues in all of a sudden getting called in in an emergency management request with with the uh, sometimes unrealistic expectations of what a drone can actually do. Uh, so what is the one thing public safety pilots should know when working inside a multi-agency emergency management incidencing with a drone? Well, I think, like I said, it's, it's, it's not about you, right? So we're, we're all one team. And I think like for a situation where we have multiple first response agencies with their own drone programs, it's it's more like a right-of-way situation. So now, f- from emergency management perspective, I'm not going to come into a fire scene where the fire department has their drone team on site and flying and put my drone up. Mm-hmm. This is their scene. This is their airspace. I'm going to assist them if they need it. And that's it. Um, you know, if you have a situation, if they have a situation where they have, let's say, a large brush fire and they need more than one drone and, uh, you know, then they may request, they know that we have drones and say, hey, can you put a drone up in this sector over here so we can get an idea of what's going on? No problem. No problem. That's what we do. And I think the most important thing that you, you can do when you're coming into a multi-agency situation is to understand what those agencies' capabilities are, whether or not they're using them, do they need the capabilities that you have, and, and don't assume anything. You know, um, you should be meeting with these agencies ahead of time. You know, in the emergency management realm, we have this kind of saying where the, the first time you're exchanging business cards shouldn't be at the incident. You know, <laughs> you should you should get to know your your partners as best as you can. Sometimes, obviously, if I'm deployed to North Carolina. And, uh, you know, I may have never met the local uh, first responders or emergency managers down there. That's a different story. But in your jurisdiction, you should know as networking is key in this realm. You've been called into a situation and uh, you are being asked to do something as a drone pilot that is just outside your comfort zone regulations. How do you say no to the, the person in charge there? Well, for me personally, it's... It's not difficult for me to talk to somebody in charge. Um, some people do struggle with, you know, especially if it's somebody in their own agency who outranks them incredibly so. You know, there's a respectful way to to decline something, and you have to understand how to do that. Um, but if I'm if I'm flying already, and they ask me to go into an area that's just going to be dangerous, mm-hmm. um, and and well outside of of the COA 
or any like there's no way in S, you know calling SGI or there's just no way I'm going to get this and be able to do it safely. Uh, I will just be honest and explain it to that incident commander or whoever it is that's that's operating and say, hey, this is not something we can do, and here's why. Uh, and here's what would happen if I do. You know, because one of the things in the emergency, just emergency services in general, is the risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. You know, risk a little to save a little, risk a lot to save a lot. Right. You know, and and I I use that a lot in my just daily life. You know, and uh, I think it's important that incident commander, if if they are worth the helmet they're wearing, is going to take that into consideration and say, you know what, uh, okay, is there another way around? Uh, is there another? And you know, maybe if I can't do it, maybe uh, you know, avi- Amanda Aviation can, and I can say, hey, let me push that up and see if I can solve this problem for you. Because at the end of the day, I'm an interagency coordinator first before I'm a UAS pilot. You're a problem solver for the city, so I'm a problem solver. That's my job. So I'm going to take the drone out of play, but I'm going to go try and fill that gap. And uh, and that's that's how I would explain it to them. I'll I try never to go to uh, a boss or, or someone who's asked me to to do a task with I don't know. Right. I always try to come with two to three possible solutions that I've thought through that might work, and let them work that out with me. Because that's what I ask of my team members when when I'm running a, a job is please just don't come to me with I don't know. I'll give you everything I can to get your task done. Come to me with two to three possibles when you're hitting the wall and we'll work through it. But if you come to me with I don't know, we just wasted a ton of time. Yeah, that's right. I always tell people, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. Bring me solutions or even possible solutions. I don't care how crazy it is. Right. Because crazy works a lot of times in emergency services and, and disaster management. Crazy is generally the only option to get it done, you know, and, and crazy is is subjective, really. Well, I, you know, as uh, you're a much more experienced firefighter, I always tell people I am the best firefighter in the air and the least good firefighter on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the philosophy of adapt and overcome uh, is crucial. Uh, 100%. All right, Doug, we are running out of time quickly, but here I want you to put your your thinking cap on um, and tell me what are some lessons that you've learned with the drone the hard way from experience um, as a public safety pilot? Did you find you ever get yourself? I mean, I I have uh, gotten myself in a situation where I never want to do that again. Uh, Have you ever found yourself there? Uh, thankfully not to that extent, but I did, you know, I have, uh, I have put the drone up, uh, having made all the right notifications and then, uh, you know, realized that, oh, wow, you know what? Uh, I didn't call manned aviation first. And, uh, you know, I was a hundred feet in the air, brought the drone back down, but I went, you know, back and in my head. I'm thinking how bad that could go. Right. Because I don't know what manned aviation is doing all the time. You know, so that's that's something that that's, you know, it's not what I'd call an extreme example, but it could become one. And it was a it was a rude awakening very quickly because, you know, I, I haven't been flying drones for many years. So and not in the public safety sense. I've only been doing that for about a year. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's just that was scary for me. Well, let me give you the flip side of that. Um, and this is 
what I wish everyone would understand. When you're on the ground flying the drone looking up, you can easily see the helicopter or the aircraft. You you have a, um, a, a rather clear background. But when you're looking down, it is impossible to see a drone. You see buildings in the ground and everything else. And All the ground this, clutter. And the worst this little, this little nine-inch, four-bladed thing flying at you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so... If you do see it all of a sudden, because I, I saw one flying the Wilmington thing, all of a sudden it's so easy to get target fixation on it because you're not communicating with that drone pilot. You have no idea what they're going to do. It just creates an unsafe situation. Um, and the other thing is, believe it or not, don't don't let this be a shocker, but there are some <laughs> pilots out there that are just not professional or care or anything else. So, um, unless like, like any field, yeah, like any field. <laughs> so unless you've got some coordination, uh, here in North Carolina with the state police, the, the rule is if they're in the air nearby, you're on the ground because what people can't appreciate is those helicopters are oftentimes operating 500 feet or less above the ground looking for a missing person. Right. Yeah. That's, that's key. See, we rarely have that in the city where they're going that low, but it's, that's why it's important to make that call before you go in the air, you know, because that way they're aware of you. All right, Doug, with your flying that you've done now, what is the one thing that you wish that you had known before you became a drone pilot? Wow. Uh, Exactly how complicated the national airspace is. And all of the, all of the coordination that happens in the national airspace to keep planes flying and not crashing into each other in the air. Like I never knew how many planes are in the air at one time and how easily a drone in the wrong part of that airspace could cause absolute chaos. So you, somebody rolls up at an incident scene um, and they want to get the drone in the air as fast as possible. And they don't even think about airspace. I, I mean, I, you can see how that could happen there. Of course. Yeah. So, uh, how do, how do we get public safety drone pilots to take a pause and think about that? Is there training or what? Well, I think training is key. Uh, definitely paramount. Uh, I think becoming part of agencies or organizations that are involved in public safety drones, like uh, drone responders, uh, things like that, you know, subscribing to podcasts that are like yourself mm-hmm. and others that are drone related and aviation related. It just helps give you a, a unique perspective and understand that, wow, you know what? Uh, this agency in this town had this problem. We had that too. And, and here's what they did. I didn't even think of that. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, I think that goes for life in general, but especially when you're doing something public safety related and you're doing something as dangerous as now mixing manned and unmanned aviation above an incident. I think training and networking and just practicing your skills as often as possible is really key. And just keeping up with, you know, the FAA is changing the rules, right? The, the rules are changing and, and flights above people and and the, the remote ID and just being aware of all that stuff, understanding whether or not it impacts you, if it does, how much, and do you have to do anything about it to be flying within those regulations? And, you know, you have to commit. Now, so as a, as a drone pilot, uh, one of the things that I have found very helpful, maybe, maybe not in your area, but 
is actually going out and making friends, networking, getting to know the news helicopter pilots. Because when they show up on a scene uh, and they know what my call sign is and we're talking to each other on the radio, I find that they're actually a force multiplier because they can tell me stuff that I don't know from the ground as well. So networking, networking, networking. Networking, networking, networking. Yeah, you know, uh, to, yeah, that's that's definitely a good relationship to have. Uh, we aren't currently speaking to those pilots, but that's, you know, that's something that can definitely be thought of. All right. So you've been called into a scene. You are the drone pilot on call. You're walking into a big incident. Uh, just walk me through what the steps are when you first roll up. How do you process the information, get your assignment, get your intelligence, whatever? Well, as an interagency coordinator, we have our radios and we're constantly monitoring, you know, whether we're in a borough uh, or covering the entire city or if we're covering a specific borough. Many times we're listening to the police, fire, EMS radios. We know when incidents are happening because depending on what it is, we're going to get dispatched to go to that scene. So having a size up before you even show up is key if that's possible, depending on, you know, what your situation is. So for us, we already have an idea of what's going on. Uh, maybe you're on citizen app and, and somebody's filled, the public is filming this thing live. And there's times where that stuff is going up before anybody else even knows what's going on mm-hmm. before, before they call 911, they, they film it. That's kind of a thing now. Right. So, you know, if you set your alerts, you, you, you know what's going on. And, and so as, if I'm getting called into a scene, I already have an idea of, of how big the fire is, what type of building it is. Uh, if I'm listening to fire or p- police radios, I have an idea of how many units are showing up and where the street closures are. And this is all stuff that I may be reporting later on anyway as the scene progresses. Uh, and then if I have to integrate UAS now at some point, you know, I'm now adding that layer. So it's, you're talking about your NOTAMs or maybe you're calling SGI because you're in zero grid. Like that's, that's a whole other set of size up checklists that you have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, my, like me, I do my, my drone check checklist, my pre-flight checklist every day before I stop driving. Yes. Because I have no idea when my drone is going to go up. Right. My batteries are good. I've checked my props, all of those things. My up my firmware because sometimes firmware updates come out of nowhere and yes. the drone acts crazy if it's not updated properly or if your you know your remote controller has a different firmware than it, than your your drone and they're not syncing well. Right. You don't want that stuff to happen when the request comes in. You know. So uh, that's I mean that's my process is to understand what the scene looks like. I can visualize it in my head, idea of where I'm going to fly around it. Is that close to a park? Are there a lot of trees and wires in the area? Or is it Manhattan and the wires are underground or just all of those things? What are the obstacles? And, you know, is it what time of day is it? Are there going to be a lot of people, you know, um, because I may be coordinating sheltering folks Mm -hmm. first and then getting the drone up after. If I need someone else, I can call one of my colleagues to come in, help with that part because they can help with the sheltering and the, and coordinating with the utility companies, et cetera, while I can put the drone up because I'm the pilot. So it's just, 
you have to be very fluid, very dynamic, understand your scene and understand your resources available to you at all times. So Doug, what is the secret sauce for you to be able to turn off your emergency management brain and turn on your pilot only brain when you're flying? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I think it's just years of experience going from the fire realm into the emergency management and disaster realm. That's a, that's a huge transition for most going from that first responder mindset to a coordinator, bigger picture mindset. You know, you're not just attacking the fire this time. Mm-hmm. Now you have, you know, utilities and, and you have civilians involved and you have other agencies and you have to make sure everybody's there. And just it, for me, it feels like a natural transition to just switch over and take that hat off now, hand it to someone else and just go into pilot mode Mm -hmm. because I trust my colleagues. We're all trained to the same ability to do that coordination piece, but I'm the one with the pilot certificate. Yes. So I take off that coordinator hat because I don't have to worry about my colleagues doing that piece. They take that from me and run with it. Mm -hmm. I can now focus on who's my VO and how are we going to get this job done as safely as possible. So uh, I, I don't, it's one thing I'm trying to figure out. I, I do get asked that fairly often, uh, but it's just, I think it's a lot of experience over the years of just learning that, like I said, it, it comes back to, it's not about you. You got to get out of your own ego, get out of that tunnel and just focus on the big picture. And what is my role here? What are my roles possibly going to become? Prepare yourself mentally, train constantly network constantly so that you make that transition as smooth as possible. Doug, it has been a pleasure talking with you today. I'm sorry that uh, we're out of time. I have like 10 questions that I never got a chance to ask you. So we're going to have to do this again. Oh, no problem at all. It's it's great. I, I really appreciate you having me on. No problem, man. Because what I would like to do next time is come up with a scenario and then we could just brainstorm our way through. How would we tackle this? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I mean, drones in disaster response, especially, is something that I'm particularly passionate about because disaster response has become a really big part of my life in my career. And, uh, you know, I've seen how well drones can help that. When I was deployed to the Virgin Islands for Irma and subsequently Maria, mm-hmm. uh, I definitely could have used a drone or two or even some manned aviation assets to coordinate a three island humanitarian response with no communications. That could have definitely helped us a lot. So that's something I've, I've definitely be, uh, put a focus on for the future. Hi, this is Steve Rode, your friendly chief pilot here at the Public Safety Flight website. Be sure to visit psflight.org to get in on my private email list, read all the latest posts, or ask me all of your public safety drone questions. That's psflight.org, or if that trips you up, you can land in the right place by using publicsafetyflight.org.